The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Well, ever since I was a little bitty boy just listening to my heroes sing, well, I knew one day if I could find a way, man, I'd be doing the same damn thing. Well, dreams come true, and I know they do, and I can feel the music down in my soul. You better make a little room at the top for a regular Joe. Welcome to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies, the North Dakota nomad, the shale played prophet, the voice of the voiceless. That's another email I got as well. So thank you, folks, for those of you who've emailed us at jason at thecrudelife.com. Anywho, I'm broadcasting today from the Hatch Coaching Studios. Our entitled intern provolone is manning the productions elements of the podcast. A little bit later in the program, Lauren Scott will join us via our Bakken Barbecue phone lines. Headlines are coming up in just a moment or two. And what else do we got coming up today? Our sponsor for the day. We have our featured event. And we've got a few other things happening as I stall to find my sheet. There we go. Thank you very much. William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, will join us on the tail end of the program with an update on the Davis Refinery near Belfield, North Dakota, and the Walton Refinery by Kermit, Texas. Energy expert and economist Dr. Lauren C. Scott will be our guest for a featured interview. It's going to give us some insight on what caused the OPEC-fueled price drop over the past weekend. Plus some Lake Charles information. You know, he writes the Louisiana Economic Outlook, so he's kind of a heavyweight in the economic and energy industry. And we talk about natural gas. I'm going to ask him about Earth Day in terms of the whole global cooling, global warming deal. You know, in the energy industry, I want to I want to find out how it's going to look in five years because I've said this for a while now. I don't think it's going to look the same. I mean, you've got a big percentage of the industry retiring by 2022. You've got big data coming in. You've got all kinds of innovation and technology changing the well site. You've got this whole eco movement happening. You got the plastic movement happening. There's just it, there's so much going at it. The industry itself we're ta- was talking about a paradigm shift, so they're aware of the changes happening. So by saying the industry is going to look different in the next several years, that's not a negative statement. It's just a reality of what's happening because the leaders of the industry back in 2010 were talking about the industries going through a change. They didn't even know what that meant, but they knew it was going through a change enough that they had to say it was going through a change. I'm going to ask Dr. Scott that question coming up a little bit later here in the program. So do we have that stuff from Lynn Helms, by the way, Provolone? Do we um, have that? Because he put out a statement yesterday. I know that. And did he give us an audio or was it just a a video or what was it that uh, Helms put out? Oh, do you have it? Okay, let's listen. Uh, This is kind of what I expected to find when I came to your annual meeting uh, this week. Uh, was a, a look from the 1970s of uh, absolute terror and being where you absolutely don't want to be. But I am happy to be able to take the message back to Bismarck that that is not the attitude of North Dakota's oil industry. Uh, there is a great deal of optimism, uh, a great deal of thinking about not if but when uh, things will return to normalcy and uh, that this is really not the new normal. Um, I don't know how many of you had this poster in your dorm room 
uh, back in the 70s. I, of course, had one, and I, I think... Okay, now that, that sounds familiar, but that, that sounds like the director's uh, cut from October 2016 or 15, 15, 2015, because oil prices were low then. And that's interesting. Wait a minute, you cheeky, cheeky son of a gun. That... That soundbite is something that I was sounding off about last week, which is the last downturn, the industry leaders kept talking about being positive and remaining optimistic through the downturn. And, you know, taking a look, I'm going to pull up here, October 2015, oil prices were at 47 bucks. They just had three months of a positive upturn after, oh boy, it looks like five months of a just a straight drop four months of a straight drop and then a few months of an uptick and then helms saying that you know remaining positive and then it just crashed after that the next three four months just boom down to 30 bucks a barrel from 45 and this is what i'm talking about to where when you go back and listen to the sound bites they'll say that the industry leaders will say we didn't see it coming and it's going to be 50 years of a drill and 30 years of this. And then they just change and change and change and they get their checks. They don't have to worry about how to go get new dollars like everybody who listens to this podcast does. I mean, business owners right now are freaking out. So Lynn Helms actually did a good thing here by coming out right away, being somewhat proactive on this. I mean, it's reactive, but it is proactive because last time, Everybody was blowing sunshine and talking about, hey, it's going to bounce back and everything's going to be good. And, you know, and that's great for the multi-billion dollar companies. But for the mom and pop shops that are relying on the industry and the families relying on the work, that it kind of hurts actually to hear that. Because again, you're going to get your check. You get funded by the taxpayers. You get funded by the industry through organizations. So you're not out there trying to chase down. Actually, a lot of people are chasing down people who owe money right now with slow pay. So the director, Mineral uh, Lynn Helms, director of mineral resources, North Dakota, he did put out a, a release, which I'm very happy about because... He's basically saying, okay, we've got to take advantage of the timing of this because of the le legislative session because, well, he didn't say this in the, in the deal, but 55% of North Dakota's taxes are tied to the extraction tax and the production tax. And really, when you think about the number of employees that go hunting and get their license renewed and the number of sales tax and those number of different things, it's like 65% really when you really want to get scientific about it, but just the flat old general budget that North Dakota operates with, they're looking at $48.50 as the price point to operate 55% of the budget. So do you think they're freaking out? I bet they are. I know when we started asking them the question a month ago, when we started seeing the top five producers laying off people and start posting billion dollars worth of debt, what happens if one of those companies go bankrupt to your state budget? What happens there? And they wouldn't return any of my phone calls. They wouldn't return any of my emails. So we're going to have somebody on though to talk about it because that's a real thing. That is a real thing. I mean, the energy industry right now does not need that black eye either. So getting back to Mr. Lynn Helms's comments, 
Um, not only is he talking about the timing and the price points to where they're running the state, but he basically said, and to quote, unless prices rebound within the next 30 to 60 days, we can expect to see an impact to production and field activity. In both 2008 and 2015, similar price drops took two years for prices to fully recover. Oil production will likely remain flat to slightly down during that time. And this is a different time. So I, I understand the comparing, but this is a different time. There's the environmental movement. There's the coronavirus, the, the, the scare that's going on there. You've got OPEC, Russia, that type of stuff happening. So there's a lot happening right now in the world of energy. And one of the things that we always have to remember, if especially if you rely on the energy industry for your income, is that if the rig counts go down or go away, it takes a while to get them to come back. You gotta go find the workers again, because if they lay off workers, those workers have to go find another job. They don't have to, but they're probably gonna. And there is a significant amount of lag time that can really impact this industry. So the, the Lauren Scott, we're going to talk to him about all these different things that are going on. So I'm very happy Dr. Lauren Scott, energy expert and economist, has chosen to join us here today on the Crude Life podcast to talk a little bit about some of the issues happening to help arm you folks with some education, some information to help you make decisions out there today. As I mentioned, the Bakken regulator issues a statement on oil price drop. And we also have uh, Meridian Energy Group giving us an update on some of their refineries and Dr. Lauren Scott talking about what is going on and the reaction and et cetera. And let's get to today's sponsor. If we could please provolone, I'd like to keep things moving along here. Today's sponsor is Clark Energy Consulting. Clark Energy Consulting is an advisory firm that provides market research and commentary specifically for investment consulting and industry professionals focused in oil and gas. They deliver impact to clients by bringing generational industry experience and insights to the broader industry. This election year, Clark Energy Consulting is launching a 2020 campaign called OG Insights designed to provide regular updates on oil prices, current events, and outlooks on the sector via podcasts, article reports, and briefings. For free insights, visit clarkenergyconsulting.com. That's clarkenergyconsulting.com. Our featured event today on the Crude Life Podcast is the Haynesville Shale Golf Classic, happening Monday, March, I'm sorry, April 6th, Monday, April 6th. That is the 2020 Haynesville Shale Golf Classic happening Monday, April 6th at the Southern Trace Country Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. Network with professionals and players in the Haynesville and Cotton Valley while enjoying golf and course cuisine. That is Monday, April 6th. For more information, go to our Crude Life Podcast show page. And if you have an event that you would like featured here on the Crude Life Podcast, simply email Jason at the Crude Life com part of our social media connection part here i'd like to mention that we are connected on the social media we've got uh, facebook and youtube and twitter and today's social media connection comment comes from youtube and it says nice content bro and i quote nice content 
bro. See that provolone? I'm hip. Our content, our oil and gas content is so hip. Somebody said, bro, don't tase me, bro. Is that passe? I'm not sure, but anywho, so that's our social media content. If you go to thecrudelife.com, click on the social media tab. We've got uh, the links there, and you can certainly follow, like, share, etc. The Earth's champion, Johnny Green, with his Eco Watch. Why one company says recycling your cell phone can reduce pollution in Alaska. Well, let's take a look at what's going on in Anchorage, Alaska, with the one company. So when things like cell phones and computers end up in landfills, the metals used to make them generate pollution over time, according to a University of Washington study. Scientists say this discarded of old technology, otherwise known as electric waste or e-waste, into landfills, landfills is a growing source of pollution around the world. Hey, that's Johnny Green's uh, big mantra here. No wonder he's leaving this behind. See, Johnny Green, we sponsor him here at The Crude Life. He won an environmental tournament by saying that if we power your cell phones down for one hour a day, you can keep driving your SUVs, and renewables ain't doable without fossil fuelables. And the one thing that he's big on is cell phones because the raw minerals it takes, the mining with the raw minerals, the manufacturing, the distribution of the cell phones, and then you have the actual texting and the carbon data centers, the, the, the cloud. You've got so many different ways that the cell phone pollutes, both from a physical to an existential to an in-the-cloud way, that Johnny Green's all over it. And Johnny Green, the Earth's champion, the greatest environmentalist on Earth, he likes to leave me these eco watches. So if you'd like to know more about the company that's out there trying to help save the world by recycling your e-waste, go to thecrudelife.com and click on our show page and the Earth's Champion Johnny Green's Eco Watch. We have the links right there. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, headlines. I got to take a sip of coffee. Headlines when we come back, folks, right here on the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. Provolone, our entitled intern, is man in the production elements of the podcast. Our sponsor today is Clark Energy Consulting. Dr. Lauren C. Scott coming up to talk about OPEC and the oil price drops. Boy, we got a full show here today at the Crude Life Podcast. William Prentice as well with the Meridian Energy Group. Woo! Esoteric energy at its finest. We'll see you in about 30. You can't move to it, groove to it, up and slam some booze to it, party to it all night long. If it ain't about whiskey sipping, guitar picking, tractors, trailers, trucks, or prison, man, it ain't a country song. I'd like them real cool old school barstool jams. I'm drinking line laughter and love. So if your feet ain't stomping once a band starts a rockin', then brother, it ain't country no. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Brother, it ain't country, no. If instead of using English, you use foreign words. When a competition that you didn't deserve. Some furco-wearing wannabes producing your stuff. And brother, you ain't country, no. 
Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. The North Dakota Nomad, the Shale Play Prophet, and now the voice of the voiceless is the new email nickname I got. Thank you, folks, very much. And you know what? Some of our guests from time to time have nicknames. Now, Dr. Lauren C. Scott, who's coming up after headlines, he's a doctor and he's got all kinds of professional nicknames. I like to joke around with him, but he talks about such serious stuff. I try to keep it very sim- serious because it is a serious conversation. We like to have fun here at The Crude Life. That's why we give out nicknames, and we like to have fun. But we like to educate and inform. And today is one of those days where when we're going to go talk about some of the things that are happening, we probably should stay a little more serious than than not because, like like we were talking about in the last segment, Slow pay right now is an issue. Some business owners are freaking out because, you know, there's a lot of different realities happening. And this one is different. This downturn is different. And everybody knows it. No one is willing to admit it, but everybody knows it. Everybody's willing to say it's a little bit different, but it's different. The industry will not look the same in three years. Mark my word, the shale play prophet, the North Dakota nomad, and now the voice of the voiceless says the industry will not look the same in three years. Five years for sure, but three years without a doubt. And when I say it won't look the same, I mean it will not look the same at all. And in order for that to happen, life needs to change. And there's so many changes happening in the air that energy is going to get pulled one way or another it happened with agriculture this is very similar to agriculture i talk about this about how when the grocery store came the farmer became irrelevant even though he did all the work and right now the light switch is the grocery store everybody thinks that the that the circuit breaker switch and the light switch is where energy comes from so all the energy workers they're they're just they're they're voiceless So that's why the crude life is now the voice for the voiceless so that we can give you a voice so you can be heard. You know what? Sometimes you might not even say things that are very well liked, but need to be said. That's what leadership does. It stands up and says, you know what? There's a problem and we need to figure out a solution. They don't just stand up and say, here's a problem. So um let's get to headlines i don't know how i got on that soapbox but it 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 happens because it's a serious day i guess everybody's all serious so let's get to headlines here folks our first headline comes to you from oil industry not asking for a bailout from trump oh man this is one of the reasons i absolutely love the energy industry because seriously in all honesty this is what attracted me to the energy industry i'm trying to find the story here so that i can cite where it's coming from i believe it's a washington examiner if uh my memory serves me correctly and it is the washington examiner so when you think about the pharmaceutical industry the technology industry the banking industry the insurance industry you take a look at all the different industries and all the different bailouts that they've had And not only bailouts, but subsidies, okay? Take a look at subsidies. And then take a look at taxes and fees and things like that, which would be on the opposite end of the spectrum. Taxes usually get turned into subsidies, right? So the energy industry generally pays more taxes than anybody. 
And then they don't really get any subsidies or they don't get any bailouts. And now when the times are tough, right away they're coming out and saying, oil industry not asking for a bailout. The leader of the largest U.S. oil and gas trade group said the industry is not interested in receiving aid from the Trump administration to help overcome a historic drop in oil prices on Monday. Now, the reason for that by Mike Summers, who will be on this program in May, uh, Mike Summers was quoted in the story saying, we are not in discussions with anyone in the administration at this time on any type of program for the industry, said Mike Summers, the CEO of American Petroleum Institute in response to a press call. So Mike Summers, like I mentioned, who's gonna be on this program in May, he said they're not interested in a, in a bailout. And to me, this is, this is the initial reaction that the industry should have because it's a gut reaction that we're gonna get through this. We don't need to rely on big government. We've never had to rely on big government. Big government's had to rely on us. So that is a great first stance. Now, I hope they can stick with it because People have got mortgages and people have got car payments and people have got student loans and people have got second mortgages. And I get it. They have a lifestyle they need to live. So we'll see if this new generation of people that have come in will withstand the pressure of a bailout. Because once you get bailed out, you owe them. And you got to open up your books and you got to do a number of things. So... We'll see what happens on that. Interesting story, Provolone. Interesting story. I didn't even know that was a thing. But kudos to Mike Summers and the American Petroleum Institute right away coming out and just saying, listen, I'm not speaking for everybody, but for our people, we don't want a bailout. We'll, we'll, we've gone through these before. I get it. This isn't like the other ones. But we got confidence in our people. Okay, next we have coming to us from newsoptimist.ca. Oh, you're up in Canada, I see, reading news stories. Record number of oil and gas well abandonments. Oh, yeah, that is true. Saskatchewan's oil and gas companies completed a record number of oil and gas well abandonments in 2019 and into 2020, according to the Ministry of Energy and Resources press release. The province saw a total of 2,030 well abandonments completed between April 1st, 2019 and February 29, 2020, the release states. Folks, this is a problem, and it's only going to get worse because a lot of states, of course, I don't know what happens, but in California, when a company goes bankrupt, it's my understanding that the well, the well nobody pays for the well. And right now in the Bakken, where I'm from, I know of off the top of my head, three of the top five producers are in financial trouble right now. And that's public information. When one of your top producers puts out a press release that they need $1.5 billion in debt funding, and this was last, what, December they did that? Okay, this is no secret here that there's, there's teeterings. Like I said, we're going to bring somebody on to talk about what happens if an oil company goes bankrupt? What happens to the state budget? What happens to the state government? Here's another slice of that. The abandoned wells. California has like 20,000, 30,000, 50,000. I think it's 20,000. I cannot remember right now, so I apologize, but I, I do know it's like a minimum of 20,000 abandoned wells. They need to be reclaimed. 
And somebody's got to pay for that. And at the end of the day, it's probably going to be the government that pays for it, which is the people. So forcing all these companies to go green, this is, this is another one of the implications, folks, okay? I know that the oil and gas companies are going to get blamed for this. It's, it, it's, that's the easy way to do it. That's the, that's the lazy way to do it, and that's the inaccurate way to do it because the way a lot of reclamation programs are is they're set up, they're paid up ahead of time. So if something happens along the way where that's not taken care of, generally it's not the oil and gas company's fault. Probably check with those elected officials, huh? What do we got next year for headlines? It looks like a coronavirus one from the BBC News. Boy, you really are into your international news today. Provolone. Coronavirus, the fake health advice you should ignore. All right, normally, folks, I just read the first couple paragraphs and then make my assessment and move on because that's the way the average person consumes today's news. But I want to just kind of bullet point this one because that's the way, you know, kind of you scroll down, read the bullet points and move on. So in the spirit of just kind of lazily half-ass paying attention to news stories and acting like I know the full amount, like so many out there who consume the news, I'm just going to do the bullet point read today here. A little bit of an audible provolone. That's See, that's the type of podcast we do here at The Crude Life. It's esoteric energy. Throw out the script. Throw it out, baby. Healing millions and millions here at The Crude Life Podcast here with our esoteric approach to energy. Our esoteric approach to the existential fear. Woo! That's what we do right here at the Crude Life Podcast. Coronavirus. Let's see what we got. Garlic. Lots of posts that recommend eating garlic to prevent infection are being shared on Facebook. So, I okay, well, it works. I mean, I don't know if it's going to cure the coronavirus, but if, if you chew on a piece of garlic, there, there's such good, great, good, good antibacterial properties. I wish we could edit provolone right there. I wish out of all the words, the gooey, gooey goodness ones. Garlic has got some wonderful antimicrobial properties. And I did this when I thought I had cancer, actually. I would, I would pop about two, three cloves of garlic a day. I'd eat them. And in the morning, I would actually chew it for a little bit and it would sterilize your mouth. And I would do it, obviously, before 5 a.m., before anybody got up, so that eventually that taste would go away. But um, So garlic is not a cure for the coronavirus, but it is, it is very healthy for you. Uh, Miracle Minerals, YouTuber Jordan Sather, 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 who has many thousand followers, uh, came up with the Miracle Mineral Supplement that can wipe out coronavirus it contains a chlorine dioxide a bleaching agent well that is a myth too look at that another myth let's see another myth here that they have a homemade hand sanitizer i saw that people were using vodka to make these tito's vodka put out a release asking people not to make their uh coronavirus hand sanitizers with tito vodka that's expensive by the way wouldn't it be i mean why wouldn't you just go get the cheap unfiltered Phillips or Schmitz or Schlitz or whatever. I know Schlitz is not vodka. Is it Schmitz? It's been, I don't know. It's been so long since I've purchased anything along those lines. 
Nevertheless, Tito's put out a press release on that. So do not make homemade hand sanitizers with vodka. Drinkable silver. Is that colloidal silver? It is colloidal silver. All right. Colloidal silver, man. That was promoted by Jim Baker. Jim Baker. (laughs) Jim Baker just got busted again for trying to peddle some sort of miracle cure with this uh, coronavirus so he's popped up again uh, or was he doing the colloidal silver okay well either way jim baker i don't know how this guy keeps getting people he swindles people into giving money he was one of the first telemarketers and then he got caught with uh having an affair with that church secretary or layman lay, lay woman and uh his wife had the big eyelashes and all the makeup tammy faye baker and then Jim Baker, oh man, he, he had one of the legendary crying breakdowns in news history. I mean, it's just, if you YouTube it, it's there. We should, I mean, we should probably put it on our show page. But So drinkable silver, don't do that. In fact, a friend of mine who was fighting cancer, he would buy that colloidal silver and, and try to drink that as well. So it's, there are a lot of, um, um, what's the word? holistic hippie science behind that so if you want to get into that it's it it it, there is some added benefit but it's not going to cure the uh coronavirus number five drinking water every 15 minutes that is apparently a myth that started in japan heating and avoiding ice cream i didn't even know this was a thing so people are apparently using hair dryers and taking hot baths not together i hope and then avoiding ice cream too So that's another myth. And the last myth here is that John Travolta does not have the coronavirus. He only has Saturday night fever and he's staying alive. (laughs) Ha ha! Fooled you! Hook, line, and sinker on that one, folks. We're going to take a brief pause and we come back. Dr. Lauren C. Scott will be our guest. He's going to give us some insight on what happened with the OPEC price drop. The OPEC-fueled price drop, I should say, to be a little more uh, specific on that. I'll ask him about the Chinese market, the coronavirus, and much, much more. All that happening right here on the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. That was Headlines, our featured interview, coming up right around the corner. But right now, I do want to thank our sponsor for today's podcast, Clark Energy Consulting. Clark Energy Consulting is an advisory firm that provides market research and commentary specifically for investing, consulting, and industry professionals focused in oil and gas. They deliver impacts to clients by bringing generational industry experience and insights to the broader industry. For more information on Clark Energy Consulting or to find out about their weekly insights or their oil price updates, their current events, even their podcasts, reports, briefings, Visit their website, ClarkEnergyConsulting.com. That's ClarkEnergyConsulting.com. But now I'm back at the bar again, hanging out with all my rowdy friends, getting drunk and singing redneck songs. I'll probably stay here, baby, all night long. Pour me a beer and a shot of death. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. 
the Davis Refinery. Whiskey glass, hanging out with friends and having a blast. My mom and dad think it's a waste of time. Not anymore. Drinking beer and riding redneck rhymes. I think I'll do it just as long as I can. That's why I'm back at the bar again. Welcome back to the Crude Life Am Podcast. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Some have called me the North Dakota Nomad. Another email called me the Shale Play Prophet. And one this morning called me the Voice of the Voiceless. That's the nicknames I'm bringing to you today. Provolone is our entitled intern manning the production elements of the podcast. Dr. Lauren C. Scott is our guest, patiently waiting on the Bakken barbecue phone lines. We are broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios, and I don't know about you folks, but I want to find out what the heck is going on with these price drops, OPEC, Russia, China, coronavirus, much, much more. I need to find out what is going on and what is the energy industry going to look like in five years. Provolone, do we have Dr. Lauren C. Scott ready for a mic level check? Let's get it going. This is Dr. Lauren C. Scott, uh, President Lauren C. Scott and Associates, Inc., and also Professor Emeritus of Economics at LSU. Appreciate you coming on the program here today. And before we exit the interview, I just want to ask you about the forecast you did for Louisiana. We had it on our program a few weeks ago, and I didn't know it, but I saw your name as one of the people on the study for the uh, economic outlook for Louisiana. So uh, before we get into some of the OPEC stuff, go ahead and just give us a quick update. Uh, You know, the elevator pitch, if you will of that uh, economic outlook for the uh, Louisiana uh, state and the energy industry down there, especially Lake, Lake Charles? Uh, well, we put out the Louisiana economic outlook and have been doing that for almost 40 years now. I think this is our 39th year. And um, it's about a 110-page document that covers all the metropolitan areas in the state. And we also have you know special sections on the price of oil, the price of natural gas, uh, which just goes to show you how how difficult it is to forecast the price of oil. I keep telling my students in my executive MBA class at LSU that where I teach forecasting techniques that the second most difficult thing in the economy to forecast are oil prices. And that's because about two-thirds of oil reserves in the world are under the lands of countries where the government's running the oil company. You never know what they're going to do. Matter of fact, uh, what happened yesterday is a classic case of that, right? Suddenly, the, uh, the the Saudis decide to do something, and it dramatically drops the price of oil. Uh, back at back when we released our forecast back in September of last year, we were thinking that the price of oil this year would average fifty nine. Uh, it may still do that, actually, but we'll have to see. But it's hard to believe that sitting here in uh, the very first part of March and seeing the price down near thirty. So what happened with this OPEC? You know, I, I you, you see the headlines, and then from there, everybody reacts, and they give their own opinion, and it's hard to even figure out what actually happened. Yeah, well, I think what happened here uh, goes back to a meeting that happened last week uh, in which um, the OPEC countries met with Russia, what we call the OPEC Plus group. And, you know, you if you recall, what happened was this group got together back in 2016 and said, you know, we, we've had low oil prices long enough. Let's get together and the OPEC and Russia and a couple of others will get together and take about 1.2 million barrels of oil off the market. We'll get the price back up again. And sure enough, that, that worked. They got the price back up again. Well, what happened last week was OPEC was looking at 
oil prices softening because of the coronavirus uh, reducing the demand for oil out there. So they said what we need to do is we need to get the price back up. So what we need to do is to take even more oil off the market. And so uh, Russia joined with us here and let's get more oil off the market and keep the price up. And Russia said, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. We're not going to participate. And so the Saudis, I think, said, well, we're going to show you something here. So they took action to pump more oil on the market and discount their oil, drive the price way the heck down. And I think what they're doing is they're saying to the Russians, we're not kidding. We want you to get to the table and we want to take oil off the market and get the price up. And if you don't do this, then look what's happening to the price of oil. Now, the Russians, from their standpoint, are saying, we want to kill the shale industry in the United States. And the only way to do that is we got to stop this thing about trying to prop up the price of oil, just let it drop. Well, the problem now that Russia has is that they have two prevailing headwinds going against them on their gambit. Uh, one of the prevailing headwinds is the Saudis have now driven the price way down. And that is dealing a body blow to the Russian uh, revenues because uh, economists would say the demand for oil is inelastic. And what that means is when the price goes down, your revenues go down quickly. And that's what's so. So first of all, Russia's taking this body blow in terms of the amount of money they're going to be bringing in from their oil revenues. The second prevailing wind that Russia has is they want to they want lower oil prices to kill the shale industry. But we've already demonstrated that, that didn't work back in 2014, 2015. They drove the price down. The Saudis did this by themselves back in 2014, 2015. And what happened is the smart, clever capitalists in the, oil, in the shale industry just figured out ways to live with oil prices and still cause uh, the production to go up. So, the, the, you know, hopefully, the Russians are going to, number one, feel this body blow to their revenues. And number two, be schooled on how this didn't work in 2014, 2015, ain't going to work now. And hopefully, they'll come back to the table with OPEC and say, okay. Let's, uh, King's X, we're sorry, we will participate in production cuts and get the price back up again. And if that happens, hopefully that'll happen quickly. And if it happens quickly, then we're going to see, uh, we're going to see the price jump right back up again quickly. As a matter of fact, above where it was last week, I think. So that's kind of the scenario we got. We're just kind of waiting to see how long it's going to take the Russians to cave in here. And go back to the table and talk to OPEC and say, "All right, uh, we're 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 sorry, we, this didn't work. Let's go ahead and take more oil off the market and get that price up." So we'll call that a right hook for right now. Uh, the, yeah. the the left hook being the coronavirus, which to me right now uh, probably is more of the Chinese economy more than anything. When, it, when we talk about the coronavirus, I don't know. I mean, I know that there's talk about some some impact in the United States, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But I do know that when you have uh, 1.3 billion people that are used to going to work in a certain manner and used to doing things in a certain manner, and all of a sudden their habits and routines are upset and 96% of our lives are fueled by petroleum, yeah, I could see where that's going to be a little bit of an impact. So I, I'm seeing headlines about this coronavirus, but like I said, I'm more 
linking that to the Chinese economy. So just kind of a two-part question. The Chinese economy and the coronavirus, how's that playing into the oil prices right now? Yeah, I mean, there's no question that before the meeting, even before the meeting last week, you know, part of the reason why the Saudis even had the meeting, uh, uh, the OPEC Plus last week, was because of the impact of the coronavirus on the demand for oil and hence the price of oil. The price of oil had fallen from in the, you know, mid to high 50s down to the mid to high 40s and even lower in some cases because of reduction in demand. I mean, people are, you know, the airline industry is just getting creamed right now. They're not flying near as many, nearly as many planes. People are being encouraged to work to, to, to work from home, which is cutting down on the demand for fuel. So, you know, we, we were already feeling an impact on prices uh, because of the coronavirus. And that's what the coronavirus Hopefully, being at its peak. Uh, who knows? Uh, I, don't, I don't. Who knows if it's at its peak? Um, but uh, uh, we already knew there was going to be an impact on prices because people are just not traveling as much. The question is, how long is this going to go on? I, I saw a McKinsey study that had three different scenarios. One was the the, the happy case, in which case it would it would it would start to tail off here pretty quickly. And maybe we'll be through with this by the say the mid part of June. Uh, then the the base case, the more likely case, is this would last through about July or into early August. And then the worst case is it would last all year long. That we'll just be battling this stuff for quite a while. So uh, we're just we're if you if you deal in this industry, you're always dealing with uncertainty, and the coronavirus is just added a significant measure of uncertainty. We don't know how long this sucker is going to last or how bad it's going to be. But right now, what it's doing is driving down the demand for oil and causing the price to be down. It certainly seems the demand is still there, though. I mean, you know, it seems, you know, last I checked, you know, Mexico was looking at trying to get some, you know, some of our liquid natural gas or whatever. I know that's why Lake Charles is ramped up. It's a big reason anyways. And Russia has been trying to get a pipeline built. I keep reading that in the news. And it's, you know, every time I see a headline, I think of you because last week I was seeing speculation that we could be getting $100 oil by this summer once again. And now we're facing the reality of possibly $10 oil, is what I saw this morning. <laughs> so. Yeah. In fact, if you, if, you got the, if you got a copy of the Louisiana Economic Outlook and you read our section on oil price forecast. We have a point forecast of $59 a barrel for the next two years, but that's around a range of 30 to $90 a barrel. And, now, and you say, well, uh, most of your listeners will say, well, hey, you know, hell, I could do that. And, and, but, but why do you have such a wide range, Lauren? And the reason you have such a wide range, you learn is that forecasting techniques, is that the more uncertain um, uh, more difficult something is to forecast, the wider the range has to be around your forecast. And look, I, I can create a scenario for you right now where the price can go down 30. We're, we're, we're seeing a threat of that right now. I can also create a scenario for you where the price goes to 90. You know, this coronavirus thing turns out to be uh, not a very big deal, and it goes away relatively quickly. OPEC and Russia come to the table and say, we're going to take even more oil off the market 
you could see prices go up well into the 60s. And then if there was some other crisis like, I don't know, something happened in Iran where they, you know, they, there was no production at all, or there was a war in the Middle East, you, you could very easily see the price going to 90 just, just because of what economists would call exogenous shocks, just something that comes out of nowhere that you weren't expecting. And that's the problem with this this dead gum industry. And that's that's always going to be a problem for folks in North Dakota, Texas, Louisiana, and Oklahoma, and even the people over in the Pennsylvania area, because you know this there's just there this 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 product is so susceptible to these exogenous shocks that are very difficult, if not impossible, to predict. Might if I ask you about some flaring things real quick? Okay. Uh, so this is a, you know, flaring has been an issue that's been going on now for, I don't know, well, since the shale revolution started, really. And Permian and, and the Bakken, of course, gets gets a lot of headlines for this. And I for a few years now, I've been kind of, you know, pontificating. You know, I don't like to stick my, my, my uh, toe too much into the politics, but every now and then I do. And one of them was just, what would a world look like if we shifted say, half of the renewable subsidies, solar and wind, which have gotten them for 40 years, over to natural gas to solve this flaring problem, just for that reason that I believe that if a lot of these guys got got some help, they could probably actually solve this flaring issue in five years, you know? But the energy companies are kind of strapped for R&D, and if the subsidies... So anyway, you know, I usually went one of two responses. One way is that people were just against subsidies. Absolutely not. And the other one is, of course, they would stick up for renewables. And I thought, well, I think people are missing my point here. And just, then the other day, now I'm seeing for an advocation for a flaring tax. So I thought, well, all right, well, it's going to come one way or another, folks. So either we can shift this subsidies over now, or they could just end up sending the energy companies a bill now on the flaring tax. So uh, just what, what, what do you make of that? Either without getting political, just the whole idea of figuring out some way to, to get some dollars to some of these guys, as you call them, smart, clever capitalists, because I do think with a little bit of a, a surge of dollars, that flaring issue could be solved in five years. Yeah, of course, your, your, key, your key problem here is just the lack of pipeline capacity right now. Uh, when you drill, many of the general public don't know this, everybody in North Dakota does, I'm sure, is that when you drill for oil, you don't just get oil, you get associated natural gas. And the tricky thing about it is that the older the well gets, uh, the more associated natural gas. It produces less oil, but a lot more natural gas. And the problem for um, uh, for you guys, it started out with you couldn't get it out. You had to ship your oil out by train. And then you were getting, actually, we're taking it out by truck, for goodness sake, and train. And then finally, they got the pipelines in there and the problem has been that getting enough natural gas pipelines, uh, and that's true not only for you guys, but it's also for the Permian. But the Permian is getting pretty close to solving that issue uh, because these low natural gas prices, um, there is a lot of demand for natural gas down here on the coast uh, because uh, what has happened is low natural gas prices have just created an enormous boom in the chemical industry uh along the especially along the texas and louisiana gulf coast 
we, for example, um, I've been looking at the Louisiana economy for 40 years. In a really good year in the past, if we had $5 billion in industrial announcements, we'd have thought that was great. We have $188 billion just in Louisiana. And in Texas, it's even bigger. And what is happening is chemical firms use natural gas to make all kinds of stuff. I mean, the plastics, uh, uh, the, the thing that you pack, your, uh, you, ship, you ship the little peanuts, you, you ship you ship stuff in, all kinds of consumer goods are made out of natural gas. Well, the, the price of natural gas here is really low. It's way below $2 a, a per million BTU now. In, Rus- in, in, in Europe and in Asia, where they have a lot of chemical firms, the price of natural gas is around $12 per million BTU. And so they're saying to themselves, what the heck are we doing staying here? Let's go to the place where the price of natural gas is low. And so they're coming here like crazy, uh, building chemical firms along the, uh, t- especially the Texas and Louisiana uh, uh, coast. And so they need that natural gas. And so there's been pipeline after pipeline being built to bring it now. You've seen a number of them open up in the last uh, two years to bring the natural gas out of Permian. There's not quite enough yet, so there's still some flaring. But that's that's the whole that's that's the key to the to the uh, to the uh, flaring issue is to get that dead gum natural get a, get the pipelines to get the natural gas out of your area down here to the coast because there's plenty of demand for it down here and there's plenty of demand for moving it on into Mexico by the way uh, because Mexico is in the process of converting a lot of their power plants from coal or fuel oil to cleaner burning natural gas. And so you've seen a lot of pipelines being built from the Texas border down into Mexico to bring that natural gas in. So the, the key to the the key of the flaring issue is to to make sure that nobody gets in the way of building those pipelines uh, to get the natural gas out. Uh, and, and pipelines pipelines are an issue in your part of the country. They're not an issue in my part of the country. We have enough miles of pipelines under the state of Louisiana to circle the globe four times. So we're, we're used to pipelines down here. We know they're not something to be afraid of. Uh, we know that the technology on them is, is way advanced now, so there's not really any problem with them. Uh, but but in your part of the world where they're, they're kind of new, everybody thinks it's the, you know, it's the end of the world. Uh, but... Uh, Getting get, getting them getting those pipelines up there to take that natural gas out, I think, is a real key to, to solving your your flaring issue. I, I do want to ask you about the environmental movement in just a second because that's a big part of the uncertainty out there. To the tune to where they're actually requiring companies to get certified now to get certain levels of investment and banking. Uh, ESG, ESMP, I think, are the acronyms, but. Um, I guess I never really thought of the foreign companies on the petrochemical side of things because just the other day we were talking about the number of foreign companies that were doing drilling in the Bakken and in the Permian to where, you know, some people are discovering this for the first time and we're thinking, no, this has been going on for a while. The globalization marketplace has been uh, slowly happening since probably nafta even probably even before then but what what it was you know whatever where it's i never thought of the petrochemical side of that too because that's important to point out too because the business might not be able to happen over in europe over in some countries so those countries are coming here 
to just build facilities and, and, and get things done. <laughs> just, yeah, and what they're doing is they're, the reason they're coming to the, the Louisiana coast and the Texas coast is because uh, deep draft ships can come into the Houston Ship Channel. They can come into Corpus Christi. They can come all the way up the Mississippi River to, to where I am, to Baton Rouge, in deep draft ships. And you need deep, deep draft ships. You try to say that real fast. Deep draft ships to, to take these bulk chemicals and then move them from here uh, over to Europe or Asia, where they're then converted into, some, say, some plastic products. Uh, and so that's, you know, you, you may have um, uh, uh, a lot of natural gas there in North Dakota. You're probably not going to get a bunch of chemical plants because you, you don't have a way of getting the bulk chemicals very quickly into the world market from there, whereas we do have it down here. That's why the importance of the pipelines coming down here is so important to get your natural gas out and maybe even getting the price up where you can actually make some money off of it. So what do you make of the eco-movement? I mean, you probably were around to remember maybe not the first Earth Day, but maybe at least hearing about it as a kid and to where we're at today, like I said, to where the reality is, you know, just last week we had William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group on, who's been fighting legal battles for over three years up in the Bakken, and now he's down in the Permian with the new refinery, and they had to go get certified to be more palatable to the investors out there. To Just, you know, your thoughts on this eco-movement. Well, I mean, I'm, I am... Uh, this is going to turn off a lot of your listeners when I say this, but... Um, uh, let's let's talk about the very first Earth Day. Go look. Uh, this this is an interesting little fun thing for you to do. go look up the uh, Google what the headline said on the first Earth Day thirty what about thirty three years ago now. Headlines on the first Earth Day thirty three years ago was man made global cooling is going to destroy this Earth if we don't do something about it. Go look it up. I mean that's exactly what it said. Man made cooling, and then of course. We had the, the, the heat wave that hit in the 90s. We had that hockey stick, and they switched to, well, no, wait, 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 wait. Now it's man-made uh, warming is going to destroy the earth. And then the hockey stick reached a peak and went sideways, and they said, well, the hell, it's not warm anymore. Here's what we'll do, man-made climate change. Now, that was the cleverest of all the decisions to make, which is simply call it climate change, which is the most unscientific phrase i've ever heard i can do i can measure global co- cooling i can gl- measure global warming but climate change what the what the hell does that mean now i am I, I told you i've been doing the louisiana economic outlook for 40 years so you know i'm an older guy and when people see you know forest fires or uh, you know whatever happening they go oh my god the climate is changing no the climate has been changing ever since you know i was a kid it's, it's been changing it always changes it goes through swings. And, and if you look at what's been happening to, since 1970, it all looks like it's on an upward track. If you look what's been happening since the 1930s, it's not all on an upward track. I mean, we had we had the melting of the glaciers uh, way back in the 30s. Uh, we're, 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 this, this is not new. This has happened before we go through these cycles. But this is a $2 billion industry now. It is a $2 billion industry. There's all kinds of government money coming in to support people who will help support this, you know, who, who, who 
find, do research to support these issues. And I just, honestly, I think it, I think if you actually look at what has happened to air quality, if you look at what is all the, you know, the, the actual measures of what happened to air quality, uh, to water quality, et cetera, in the United States, they have been dramatically improved, not dramatically worse. They have dramatically improved over time. Particles in the air dramatically improved over time, not gotten worse. So I, I mean, I, 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 I really, I, I, I'm an, I guess the, the official phrase is a denier, which is another clever word because that's associated with people who, you know, that's a word associated with people who deny the Holocaust, which I definitely do not do. But, but you, you it's, I, I just think this is much ado about nothing. But that's just me, you know. So, I, as a scientist, I look at the actual numbers, and I just, I just, I just think this is not true. There's a whole book, a very, very thick book, that is the uh, the non-governmental panel on climate change. It'd be a very good thing for people to look at uh, because it is a it is a book that uh, very good scientists from places like Harvard and other very well-known schools are saying, you know, this is nonsense. But the press, the press has jumped on it, and the press says this is real, so by golly, let's be real. All right, final question for you, and then we'll make sure we let <laughs> let people know about uh, how they can get in touch with you to come speak, because I imagine you do that when you're not forecasting, at least you used to. I imagine you're still speaking. Um, fact, I'm leaving, leaving tomorrow for Memphis. Oh, you're going to, to Memphis to do some speaking? What's yeah, going on I'm in Memphis? Yeah, I'm going to Memphis to give a speech to the Syngas Association. Okay, great, so, great. Yeah. So here's here's a you know question. Again, this is you know not planned ahead of time for the listeners out there. It's just, you know, that seven, eight years ago when, when this thing kind of first started and, and the Bakken was, you know, in the rock star phase and I was kind of traveling around to the different shale plays interviewing these CEOs by the way, these same CEOs that you could find so easily 10 years ago, they're like a rare albino white elk, white elk sighting now. <laughs> I mean, you can't find any of them now. But anyway, that's for a different day. But um, so, they, you know, they kept using the word paradigm shift. And, you know, these guys, they can't use words like that. They're not, they're, they're not exaggerators, you know. They, they can get sued if they say things. And they got shareholders listening and competition. So I did pay attention to that. So... When I look at big data, when I look at how many people are retiring, you know, they say 70% of the industry is going to be retired by 2022. And so I look at the 1990s with low oil prices. So we really had two, three, four generations, depends on if you call XYZ generations, you know, of really not being hired in the energy industry. So you've got globalization, you've got this eco cult, you've got renewables retirees, you've got all this stuff going on. What's the energy industry going to look like in five years? Well, I mean, uh, gosh, like I said, this is the most second most difficult thing in the economy, the forecast. Totally. Uh, by the way, did you notice I said the second most difficult, the most difficult thing in the economy forecast, the most variable thing in the economy forecast is the weather. And the idea that you can forecast what the weather is going to be like 20 years from now is absurd. Any more than I could forecast what the price of oil is going to be 30 years from now or 20 years from now. But going back to your question, I mean, I, I, I think uh, it is, what this industry 
does when they start running into labor shortages like you're suggesting there is they do two things uh, thing number one they do is they raise the wage rates the way that you attract people uh, when you're starting to run into an issue uh, issue of shortages is you always raise wage rates first that's the first thing you do to try to get people to come in the second thing that you do is you start substituting capital for labor you start figuring out ways to do things with the machines that people today do. So when I was working on the drilling rig when I was 18 years old, my first summer out of high school, uh, I had we had to manually put slips uh, in place on a rig. A slip is something that keeps the pipe from dropping all the way down to the bottom of the hole when you're pulling the pipe out to change the bit on the bottom. You had to manually put these these uh, these uh, slips in place took you know, there were two guys to put the slips in place. Well, now the guy pushes a button on the floor of the rig and the slips go into place. You don't need a man to do that. You don't need a, a man to uh, to put the tongs on to tighten the tighten the pipe into place. This is all done uh, with technology now, and so you know where you might have need six men on the floor uh, in the past. Maybe you need two nowadays. So. That's that's the way you handle this, and, and this industry of all industries is one of the most clever. It's one of the most adaptable industries in the country when it comes to dealing with shortages or with low oil prices. They are really smart, clever capitalists. There's a lot of money at stake, and when there is, their creative juices get to working, and they start solving the problem. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the time today. Jason, it's always a treat. Thank you. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. And I see people all alone, picking their guitars, playing their songs, and I tell them, forget it. Cause you can't fake it, you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Waitress, eat a late breakfast, country style. Cause that's my life, yeah, y'all, and I love it. That's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it. I see people all alone picking their guitars. And that's going to do it for today's The Crude Life Podcast. I'd like to thank Provolone, our entitled intern, for manning the production elements of the podcast. Good job today, Provolone. Dr. Lawrence C. Scott, president of Lawrence Scott & Associates, thank you very much for taking the time out of your schedule to join us to talk about that OPEC-fueled price drop, the Chinese market, coronavirus, everything along those days. Even Earth Day we got in there, global cooling, global warming, climate change. Good talk with Dr. Lauren C. Scott, one of our favorites here. William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, going to join us right as soon as I'm done talking as we hand the baton off to the Daily Show, which I do for a number of radio stations. And we just throw it at the end of the podcast because what the heck, we do it. And we might as well reuse the content. That's the thing about recycle. The word recycle is going to be expanded or replaced to reuse very soon. Because 
Recycle is, is not enough these days. We need to reuse it too. And that's a form of recycling as well. So um, just a little, little bit of uh, reading the tea leaves out there for you folks. Headlines, our links are available at thecrudelife.com, our show page. Our sponsor today, Clark Energy Consulting. Thank you very much for being our show page sponsor today and our podcast sponsor. Clark Energy Consulting is an advisory firm that provides market research, commentary specifically for investment, consulting, and industry professionals focused on oil and gas. They deliver impact to clients by bringing generational industry experience and insights to a broader industry. They advise on topics ranging from market and growth strategy to investment and risk analysis. Their goal is to develop lasting and rewarding relationships with their customers and friends. For more information, visit ClarkEnergyConsulting.com. Also, our featured event today, Haynesville Shale Golf Classic, happening Monday, April 6th. The 2020 Haynesville Shale Golf Classic is happening Monday, April 6th at the Southern Trace Country Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. That's Monday, April 6th. Of course, more information is available in the links at thecrudelife.com. That is thecrudelife.com. Our social media connection today, uh, we came from our YouTube page where, and I quote, we got a comment on there. Nice content, bro. Thank you once again for those who leave comments and engage with us on our social media platforms, whether it's the YouTubes, the Twitters, maybe the Facebook or LinkedIn, one of the social media pages we have. Go to thecrudelife.com and you can be a part of our ever-growing social media army of an energy enthusiasts at thecrudelife.com and click on the social media page. Johnny Green, the Earth's champion, thank you very much for stopping by and Dropping off the eco watch for the day. Why one company says recycling your cell phone can reduce pollution in Anchorage. Johnny Green, the Earth's champion, says if you can power your cell phone down for one hour a day, we all can keep driving our SUVs. He also says renewables ain't doable without fossil fuelables. Go to Johnny Green's website at theearthchampion.com. Our links are available at the show page as well. Blind Joe, the Crude Life Music Crossover. Thank you very much. Blind Joe was on The Voice. He was one of Blake Shelton's favorites, and he does a great job traveling across the United States, primarily the upper Midwest, singing and playing some music. He's an old country music soul, the type of music you're listening to right now, and we're going to play at the end of the program as well. Hatch Coaching, our studio sponsor. Thank you very much. Bach and Barbecue phone lines. Thank you very much. Our phone line sponsor is Bach and Barbecue. Thank you very much. That's it, folks, for me. We're going to hand it off to William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group here in just a second. Provolone, excellent job today once again from the staff here at the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group. In just a minute, part of our exclusive interview with William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. We always try to make the point that this is not something that's new to us. Uh, the ESG acronym, uh, Environmental Social Governance, is kind of the broader concept, and you know, the governance part of it is, is key because you can, you can espouse these uh, concepts and commitments to doing the things that are, 
that are good as far as the environment and society are concerned. But unless you run your company in a way that's consistent with that, it doesn't do anything more than give you some good press release material. So what we've done is, uh, you know, adopt everything that we began doing for Davis back in 2014 and put that into a environmental and, and social management plan, which is now a key corporate governance document. Um, you know, it has the same weight and, and sense of purpose to it as our overall strategic plan does. Um, and, you know, the, the key facets of it are, um, you know, again, I, I mentioned the equator principles earlier. Um, there are, are 10 principles involved in that, in that organizing uh, set of documents. Uh, we went through this process uh, with our, both of our investment bankers here over the past three or four months and an exhaustive uh, review by them as to where we were on all 10 of those principles. And we're, we have been in compliance with them for years. Uh, you know, and that just runs a gamut of, you know, uh, how you think about a project, whether it's a major project or minor, and all of our projects are treated as major. Uh, we do our own in-house environmental and social assessment, which, in other words, you know, before we even applied for permits with Billings County, uh, we worked with, uh, you know, SEH and other firms, uh, Zia Engineering, to do a California-style environmental impact statement including, uh, you know, Native American uh, cultural issues, uh, overall uh, societal issues. And we did all that before we applied for any permits. Uh, that material went into our Billings County uh, conditional use permit and rezoning application and also formed the basis for air quality permits and everything else we've done. To listen to the full-length interview with William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, or to listen to other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, reminding you that it's more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Here we go. <clears throat> Hamburger steaks, holiday inns. That's the kind of world that I live in. I play a different town most every night. Love on my woman, write a new song. That's my life. Well, that's my life. Yes, y'all, and I love it. Well, that's my life. There ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all alone picking their guitars, playing their songs, and I tell them, forget it. You can't fake it, you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. I got a big bus with a TV and a bar, and a little room in the back for me and my old guitar. I gotta stop and fuel up every 500 miles. 
Every picture to the waitress eating late breakfast country style. Cause that's my life, yeah, y'all, and I love it. That's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all alone picking their guitars, playing their songs. I tell them, forget it. You can't fake it, you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. We get home from Nashville on a Monday night. Record songs on Tuesday, and on Wednesday we take out the wife. But then on Thursday night, it's back on the road. I don't care if it's North Dakota or Southern Minnesota, just as long as I grow. That's my life, yeah, it's y'all and I love it That's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it And I see people all alone Picking their guitars, playing their songs And I tell them, forget it Cause you can't fake it, if you're gonna make it You gotta live it Yeah, brother, you can't fake it If you're gonna make it, you gotta live it it seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you. There's a world changer down the street, and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday.